Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, you health renaissance people. Yeah, this frog-like voice is coming from me, Dr. John Bergman. Uh, you know, it's perfect timing to talk about flu and colds, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about. Uh, yesterday, my voice was perfect, and then yesterday afternoon and last night, my voice was destroyed. Now, one of my sisters happens to be a speech pathologist, and she is brilliant. She recommended that I not talk at all. Okay, well, since sign language doesn't work on the radio, we got to just get through this. So let's break down some of the myths. We're going to look at fraud versus science and profit versus science. Now, one thing, when you're looking at colds and flus, and I'm going to give you actual solutions to protect yourself from the cold and flu. And if you get a sore throat or laryngitis like I got, I'm going to show you direct ways to get your body healthier and faster. By Wednesday, I'll be fine. Right now, I'm not. (laughs) So let's look at the flu shot. First, 40% of all vaccines given are for the flu. So this is a big, big moneymaker. Here's another fact. 60% of all vaccine injuries reported in the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System are for the flu vaccine, and that's not good. Now, if you go to the CDC.gov site, the CDC recommends a yearly flu vaccine, and they say it's the best way to protect you. Now, they also recommend that the flu vaccine can reduce flu illnesses, doctor's visits, reduce um, preventable flu-related hospitalizations, and they suggest that anyone, every human being, from six months of age and older get a vaccine every year. That means if you're six months old, you get a shot. A year and a half, you get a shot. Two years, you get a shot. Three years. Every year, you get a flu vaccine. Now, I know you're thinking there's never been an animal study. Well, we're going to go into that. And they're also recommending people at high-risk serious flu complications, such as young children, pregnant women, people with chronic health conditions, and anyone 65 years or older get it. And also, every healthcare worker. So what you got to ask is when did flu become so much of an issue? And are there more effective ways to strengthen your immune system, particularly other than a vaccine, or if the vaccine is the best way? Why don't we all get them? That's what the government's recommending. And also, since everyone is, is told to get the flu shot, how effective is it? Well, first, let's look at the risk. Now, if you look at the CDC site, they say they don't really keep track of how many people are dying of the flu. Um, And they have a rust estimate of 36,000 people. Now, the British Medical Journal did a great article to say their numbers are completely bogus. So who actually keeps track of this? Well, the American Lung Association actually keeps track of people who die from the flu. And going on the years from 1999 to 2006, they have it broken down into different age groups. Now, it turns out that on average, 
you have about 1,244 people a year dying from the flu in a country of 300 million. And there's about 800 people struck by lightning. So you have a little bit more chance of get dying from the flu than struck by lightning. So the risk isn't really there. So when did the the whole marketing thing expand? Have we always given flu shots since the development? Well, no, I'll tell you right now. In 2000, so this is just 18 years ago, the CDC expanded the flu shot coverage to all healthy Americans age 50 years old and older. Now, this was no pregnant people, no children. They used to give it to only people with health challenges. So this, 2000, all the CDC, all healthy Americans over 50. In 2002, they said all healthy babies from 6 months to 23 months. Then 2006 rolled around, and they said, look, man, flu shots for all healthy children up to 5 years old. And in 2006, they said any pregnant woman in any trimester should get a shot. Now, that's weird because when you look at the death rates, they don't correlate that. And in fact, with all those changes in 2004 and 2006, you're talking only 700 people died of influenza, and in 2006, only 849. So what what else happened? Well, 2007, they said, to heck, six months to five years, we're going to give every healthy child up to eight years old a flu shot. And then 2008 rolls around, and they said, heck with it. Every healthy kid up to 18 years old. So you can see it expanding, expanding, expanding. And then Homeland Security. Yeah, your favorite health agency. Oh, wait, they're not a health agency. No, Homeland Security gets in it. Because they had an idea that there was a pandemic. Okay, and H1N1, and that was... You know, you could remember the old president saying, well, it's bird to bird and bird to flu and, you know, I mean, just crazy psychotic stuff that has nothing to do with with science. Well, there wasn't a pandemic and there were a ton of lawsuits um, because countries spent millions of dollars on this shot and there was never a pandemic. And then 2010, that's the big one. That's when annual flu shots for every American, healthy or not, from six months old to the time of their death. And that's also when um, the healthcare professionals were also in line to forced getting a flu vaccine. Now, why was this? Well, let's look at the director of the CDC. At the time, from 2002 to 2009, Julie Gerberding was president or director of the CDC. Now, the government is the largest purchaser of vaccines. And so she is working directly to expand the vaccine market. Why do I say that? Well, she left the CDC in 2009. And directly, she was appointed president of vaccine manufacturers Merck's vaccine division. It's a $5 billion a year operation and the largest number of vaccines um, suppliers that the CDC recommends. Now, don't worry about 
Dr. Gerbiting. Uh, she cashed in about $2 million of her Merck stock, but she still holds around 32,000 shares, so she'll be okay. Yeah. Is is there any more blatant? Uh, I mean, I want to say nepotism, but this is just psychotic. Okay, so let's look. Is the flu vaccine safe and effective? Well, when you go to PubMed, again, the government site, um, the Cochrane database did a systems review in 2010, and the title of it, Vaccines for Preventing Influenza in Healthy Adults. And they went on the Medline search to see if this flu shot is really effective from January 1966 to 2010. So they're looking at the entire Medline search um, <laughs> from 66 to 2010. We're talking a lot of years. And what they found was that if the vaccine actually matched the circulating strains, about 1% of vaccinated people developed symptoms versus people that had no vaccines, about 4%. That's right. So the flu shot, if it actually matched, it protected you 3%. That means 97% of the time it didn't do anything. Gee, that doesn't sound good. But then they go through and they talk about the vaccines can cause local harms. And in fact, for every 1.6, for every million cases of vaccines, 1.6 cases of Guillain-Barre syndrome, that's permanent paralysis. That means that means these people will never walk again. And, and that's almost two per million vaccines. Now, for just a 3% advantage, that's not a good use of people. Now, so they go in, and now this is a Medline search that the Cochrane database did, and they start to look at it, and they have a, a caveat at their findings. And they said this review included 15 out of 36 trials funded by the industry. Four had no funding declaration. Studies funded from public sources quote, we're significantly less likely to report favorable conclusions to the vaccines. Uh, the review showed reliable evidence that influenza vaccines, evidence on influenza vaccines is thin, but there is widespread manipulation of conclusions and spurious notoriety of the studies. Wow. What does Thomas Jefferson, not the president, but the doctor who was actually doing a lot of the studies for the Cochrane database. Quote, the vaccine doesn't work well at all. Vaccines are being used as an ideological weapon. What you see every year is the flu is caused by two to 300 different agents. With a vaccine against two of them, that's simply nonsense. I totally agree. Then you look at the editor-in-chief of The Lancet. A lot of published research is, in fact, unreliable, at best, completely false. Wow. Okay, so what's in the flu shot? And, again, we're not going to spend a lot of time on the flu shot, and I know I'm giving you a lot of information. We just got to get this through quick. They used to grow it in chicken eggs, and that was very labor-intensive. That means since you can't isolate a virus, what you're going to do is take infected tissue and put it in a living chicken egg. 
and allow it to fester for about 10 days. Then you break open the chicken egg, centrifuge out as much of the chicken parts as you can, preserve it, and put some adjuvants in there to stimulate the immune system. Uh, put a little mercury if you got a multi-dose vial, and then you inject it in people. And hopefully you can get an antibody response because that's how you measure its effectiveness. Well, that's really labor-intensive. So they started to go up to oncogenic or neoplastic cell grows. Now, these are immortal cell lines. So they're growing it now in a monkey kidney that's been grown since 1962, a dog kidney tissue that's been grown since 1959, and aborted human fetal cells. Now, you can look on the cdc.gov site and they talk about cell-based flu vaccines on how they decided to go to this cell-based culture instead of the chicken egg culture. Now, you might be wondering, gee, injecting, making a vaccine with cancer cells might be bad. Well, back in 1954, the, the, and this is from fda.gov, the government website, they decided that they shouldn't make vaccines out of cancer cells, even though it produced a consistent product. So, quote, this decision was based on concerns about the possibility that human tumor cells might be contaminated with occult oncogenic agents that might be transferred to the vaccine recipients in an event might, which in turn increased the risk of cancer and other neoplastic diseases in the vaccinees. Yeah, I could see how that would be bad. So the good news is that you're growing the vaccines and it's cheaper for the manufacturing and gets a good product, a good consistent product, because you're injecting everyone's from six months old to death every year to get this shot. And the bad news is you're injecting them with cancer cells, and this might have a negative effect. Yeah, I, I could I could see how that would might be a concern. Um, it, so uh, the potential risk, and this is off the FDA.gov site. Um, first, it can cause cancer through uh, residual DNA or it can cause a secondary uh, cancer by loss of function of tumor suppressor genes. Um, so it's not good. Now, we know that the Lancet in 2002 said the polio vaccine were responsible for up to half of the 55,000 non-Hodgkin's lymphomas every year. And also, since the SV40, which is a simian monkey virus, um, was found to have contaminated the polio vaccine, they also found it in lung cancers, brain cancers, bone cancers, and lymphatic cancers. So knowing that the polio vaccine is directly linked to a number of different cancers, it makes sense that the flu vaccine may be implicated as well. But let's not just look at the cancer issue. Let's look at the Lancet 2010. Now, they talk about the importance of ground rates of disease and assessment of vaccine safety in a mass immunization, particularly the pandemic of H1N1. Now, what they found is that in a cohort, if 10 million people were vaccinated, and this is realizing that the vaccine, uh, 
if they absolutely nail the the strain, it can protect you about 3%. That means you have 97% chance that it's not going to do anything. So um, 10 million people vaccinated. They estimated 21 cases of Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is permanent paralysis, about six cases of sudden death within six weeks of vaccinations, 86 cases of optic neuritis, and 397 per 1 million okay, um, of pregnant women are going to have a spontaneous abortion within one day of the vaccination. So if you that's per 1 million, and we're talking about 10 million. So that means nearly 4,000 children are going to be spontaneously aborted, 86 cases of optic neuritis, 6 cases of sudden infant death, and 21 cases of permanent paralysis. And that's according to The Lancet. Now, let's look at the vaccine adjuvants, and one of the most common one is aluminum. Now, this has been found to increase neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's, and this was published in the Immunology and Cell Biology Journal, 2004. Now, according to the current medical chemistry, aluminum, <laughs> again, talking about the aluminum adjuvants. See, when you just inject a vaccine in somebody, the way that you find out if it's effective is, is you measure the immune system recognition and response through antibodies. Well, um, you have to mix some substances in there, and they're called adjuvants, and aluminum is the most popular one. It's in virtually every vaccine. Now, here's a quote out of current medical chemistry talking about the aluminum aspect. Quote, in our opinion, the possibility that vaccine benefits may have been overrated and the risk of potential adverse effects underestimated has not been rigorously evaluated in medical and scientific community. Researchers discovered children up to six months of age receive 14 to 49 times more aluminum from the vaccines than the FDA's safety limits allow. According to the Journal of Toxicology, all these, quote, all these findings plausibly implicate aluminum adjuvants in pediatric vaccines as causal factors contributing to the increased rates of autism spectrum disorders. According to Dr. Hugh Funnenberg, medical doctor, now this is one of the world's premier immunogenesis of our time. Quote, the chances of getting Alzheimer's is 10 times higher if an individual had five consecutive flu shots. And he studied the years, for 10 years along the study line, 1970 to 1980. Okay, then you look at the Lancet, and I'm just, see, if it's recommended and the data shows that it's protective and safe, by gosh, I'd be passing it out in my clinic. But when you see that the data shows that it's not safe and it's dangerous, this is bad. Now, when you're looking at aluminum, increasing Alzheimer's, aluminum, increasing cancer, aluminum, increasing autism, there, there's some bad stuff with aluminum. So is there anything else that you could put in a vaccine that's safer? Well, let's look at the Lancet. And their title of the article is Adverse Events 
after immunization with aluminum-containing DPT vaccines, a systematic review of the evidence. Okay, now they go through in, quote, no obvious candidates to replace aluminum are available. So withdrawal for safety reasons would severely affect the immunogenicity and protective effect of some currently licensed vaccines and threaten immunization programs worldwide. End of quote. So that means that, yes, they know it's toxic, but if we bring it up, that people might not want it injected into them. So what they write down, because there's no thing, nothing else they can put in there that's going to stimulate an immune system response. Quote, despite a lack of good quality evidence, we do not recommend that any further research on this topic is undertaken. End of quote. Yeah, that's right. This is science. Science is research data, research data, research data, hypothesis research data. And they're saying, look, since it's toxic and there's nothing else, don't screw around with looking into it. Let's look at the benefits, okay? Because obviously, since vaccine rates are increasing, it has to have a protective effect, right? Okay, The Lancet, 2007. Mortality Benefits of Influenza Vaccine in Elderly, an Ongoing Controversy. That's the title of the article. <clears throat> now, people 70 years old and older, this is the age group that accounts for three-quarters of all influenza-related deaths. Now, remember, you're talking about 1,200 deaths a year. So it's, it's not a lot, but it's still it's important to those 1,200 people. But... Um, in knowing that the vaccine is now, you know, everywhere, we know the vaccine is toxic, but it's got to be saving somebody. Quote, recent excess mortality studies were unable to confirm a decline in influenza-related mortality since 1980, even as vaccine coverage increased from 15% to 65%. End of quote. Okay, wait a second. So, you take a population that's getting 15% of them are vaccinated, and you start studying them since 1980. Now you're talking 65% of the population is vaccinated. There has to be a positive effect. Nope, no change. Okay, so what are the rates of flu? I mean, who's going to get it? Well, when you look at all the respiratory infections that you can get, Okay, you're talking rhinovirus is 50, 55%. Coronavirus is 23%. I mean, all other respiratory viruses, about 6%. All influenza A and B infections is about 10%. So you've got a 10% chance when you get a cold that it's from influenza. So what can you do? I found an article on face masks. Because, yes, I know people walking around with face masks all the time. I think it's an attractive feature. I really do. But it turns out that according to the Emergent Infectious Disease Journal, that face masks don't work. Okay, so what do we call the cold and flu season? Well, for one, viruses live longer at colder temperatures. And also, what I'm experiencing is that mucous membranes dry out in the cold and become more susceptible to infection. 
So since I was working till late, and in California it hasn't been really cold, not compared to the rest of the planet, um, but it was about 35 to 38 degrees when I was working Saturday night. And, uh, you know, being out there exposed, it did weaken my immune system. But also, why is it in the wintertime? Well, there's going to be excess sugar from the holidays, decreased vitamin D from less sun exposure, and increased stress. So let's look at your body's response. For one, look at a fever. A fever is brilliant. Allow it. I mean, if you look at acetaminophen, okay, and this is in DayQuil, NyQuil, Tylenol. Now, according to the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Clear, Care, researchers found that if you're utilizing acetaminophen, so this means no more DayQuil, no more NyQuil, no more um, at Tylenol, you're talking it increases chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Now, when you're talking about respiratory illness with a common cold, you don't want to take something that weakens your body's ability to respond to it. And even if you have a fever, a fever viruses, funguses, and bacteria die at a higher temperature. So you want that. And in fact, um, increased mucus production actually walls off invaders. So you don't want to take things that decrease mucus. And it allows your body to rebuild itself. Now, we've got some data tonight that we're going to bring up. For one, you don't want to treat your child's ear infections with antibiotics. We're at antibiotic-resistant bacteria are all over the place. We're going to go over it, how healthy mucus is, what mucus does, what green mucus is. But what I want you to appreciate is fever. And this is a brilliant article out of February 2004, the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology. Quote, children who ran a fever during their first year were less likely to develop allergies later in, uh, in childhood. So it turns out that developing a fever is vital for your immune system. But also, I want you to look at the fever, look at the body. Because if uh, a person, I'm talking child, adult, anyone, is having an elevation in temperature and their body is sweating, Okay, their body's trying to cool off, so give them a room temperature, sponge bath, allow evaporation to chill them out. You don't want to give a toxic chemical that weakens their response to the immune, an immune system response or weakens their lung function like DayQuil or NyQuil. And in fact, body temperatures, according to the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology, Body temperatures must get above 108 degrees to cause damage. And this is caused only by exceptional circumstances, such as central nervous system disorders or heat stroke. The brain has an internal regulatory mechanism that stops um, fevers from getting higher than 105 or 106 degrees. We're also going to go over vomiting. We're going to go over diarrhea. We're going to go over... Um, how the immune system responds. We're going to go over how exercise snuffs out common colds. We're going to go over how if children are in playground groups that they actually, or play, you know, in groups of kids, that they have a better immune system response. And it talks about how if kids are raised isolated from other children, 
that there actually is an, is an increased risk of chronic illness or disease. We're going to talk about proper nutrition, how this is your best defense, proper vitamin D, exposure or supplementation, how you need vitamin K2. So you need fermented veggies during the wintertime in order to have a healthy um, immune system response. You need healthy omega-3s for optimal brain function. What I want you to appreciate is our species is alive today because we've survived this far. If an intervention that a medical doctor is going to do is safe and effective, by God, that makes sense. You'd be a fool to not do a safe, effective intervention. Hippocrates, in Hippocrates' time, he was in a dangerous time where a lot of the medical therapies, and we're talking a couple thousand years ago, were dangerous. So he knew. He said, first, do no harm. And he, this was a plea to the physicians of his time. So right now, knowing that medical care is between the third and the fourth leading cause of death in America, this is one doctor to another. I'm pleading to you. First, do no harm. Suggest nutrients. Suggest building a fever. Suggest a healthy immune system response. Have an appreciation that the body is, is an intelligent design and has intelligent responses. So let's respect the body. Your body is made in the image and likeness of God. It will respond to our planet intelligently. Build the immune system, and you're going to be okay. And, and spread health, because health is the natural state of your body. This is Dr. John Bergman. God bless you, and I truly do love you. You're going to, you're going to be fine. Let's not do this chicken lip act. Okay, you are built by God. This is Dr. John Berkman, your health advocate. I love you.